Welcome to the Clinimed Connects podcast, the urology and continent series. In this podcast episode, we're going to look at bladder emptying problems that can cause incontinence and how we might be able to help you and your patients. We'll be joined by Carolyn Freeman, Lead for Continence Care and Clinimed Product Specialist, Laura Savage. Urinary incontinence, as you're probably aware, is not often talked about and some can find it embarrassing. It's seen by many as a normal part of ageing. However, most older people are in fact continent and any leakage of urine, whatever the age of the person, should be investigated. An assessment by a skilled clinician should take place and then, with the correct management of these problems, they can be alleviated or cured. However, for those that present with symptoms of a bladder that's not emptying or not emptying fully, then further steps will need to be taken to protect the integrity of the kidneys. Joining us now is Carolyn Freeman, Clinical Lead in Continence Care in Community Healthcare. Hello, Carolyn. Hello, everyone. Uh, what can cause a bladder to not empty? Well, there are a few things. Constipation, a full bowel can obstruct the passage of urine and I've certainly had experience of that with many patients and some end up going into A&E, which of course is not what we want. Enlarged prostate gland in men can obstruct normal flow, uh, leading to retention of urine. I think uh, everybody knows about that one. Uh, Vaginal prolapse, uh, very uncomfortable and, uh, you know, this is any prolapse. You know, the uterus, the bladder can put pressure on that urethra so that it's difficult for the lady to pass urine. The formation of urethral strictures, the bladder muscles having been overstretched previously, uh, for example, after a short-term or long-term urinary retention. After any surgery, the analgesic drugs that are used can affect the nerves and the muscles involved in the urination process. Fortunately, though, this does not last for more than two weeks. After childbirth, having an epidural, you can get a lack of bladder sensation, so unaware of the need to pass urine. You can also get something called postpartum retention, classed as absence of micturition, six or more hours after birth. And of course, if this is ignored, there can be damage to the muscle and nerves of the bladder, resulting in permanent bladder voiding dysfunction. In fact, one of my neighbours has got this problem, so she needs to catheterise. She was just doing it once a day, but now she does it three times a day. After Botox injections for an overactive bladder, women hovering rather than sitting over the toilet and being in a rush and not allowing enough time to empty the bladder. And what are the symptoms of a bladder that's not emptying fully? vary between patients uh, especially if there's a reduced bladder sensation or no bladder sensation such as for patients with a neurogenic bladder for example patients with MS or spinal injury patients. It is worth remembering that the coordination of the activity of the bladder and the urethra is subject to complex neural control which involves all levels of the nervous system hence patients present differently. You can use information though from the patient's history and I know that's not always easy but you can also ask you know anybody in the family that knows anything more and complete the bladder diary. Again carers can help do this but uh, it does help you 
interpret the behaviour of what's going on with this patient's bladder. Other investigations can be used to assist you, such as ultrasound and urodynamics. A patient can often feel they have not emptied their bladder properly. I get patients saying to me, I go to the toilet and I want to go again before I have left the bathroom. Or they'll say, I get up at night, which leaves me feeling so tired. So other symptoms include difficulty straining to start to urinate, weak stream or dribbling of urine, loss of urine throughout the day, inability to feel when the bladder is full, leakage of urine during coitus intimacy. And that is such an important question to ask people. Some people will laugh at it and say, well, I don't know about that. I've not been with anybody for years. Uh, Some people will be relieved that you've actually asked that question because it's causing real problems with their relationships. Pain, of course, which can be uh, severe. Distension of the bladder, you can actually palpate it, see it. Recurrent urinary tract infections, otherwise, you know, we call them UTIs. The lack of urge to pass urine or the urgent need to pass urine. Some of these symptoms can be associated with other bladder problems, such as having an overactive bladder, where patients complain of urgency, frequency, and sometimes urge incontinence. But with overactive bladder, the bladder empties. Incomplete emptying may lead to symptoms of OAB as there is little or no storage space. So the person feels the need to pass urine often. And how could incomplete or poor bladder emptying be managed? Well, sometimes this can be straightforward depending on the cause. A simple change in toilet position may be helpful. Avoiding constipation. Double voiding, and this is when somebody sits on the toilet or stands at the toilet to pass urine and then they wait a couple of minutes and then they try again. Making sure fluid intake is enough. And we we all know that most of our patients probably don't drink enough. And sometimes applying a bit of pressure on the bladder just above the pubic bone while sat on the toilet may help. Review of medication and simply running the tap. Also appropriate referral to the hospital if further investigation is needed, of course. If the bladder needs to be mechanically emptied, then a urinary catheter may need to be considered, hopefully ideally for a short-term use, as they are not, as you probably all know, without complications. A better option to be considered is intermittent catheterisation. This is determined when the post-void residual urine is greater than a third of the patient's bladder capacity. So a general rule of thumb is... If the patient's got over 100 and 150 mils in their bladder, then they they may need to do intermittent catheterisation. However, some people have got this and higher residuals and are actually asymptomatic. I would suggest these patients need to be monitored. And what is intermittent catheterisation? Well, this is the passing of a sterile, single-use, hollow, straw-like tube into the bladder to drain away the urine into the toilet or other receptacle or place. It's also known as CISC, which is Clean Intermittent Self-Catheterisation, ISC, which is Intermittent Self-Catheterisation, and IC, Intermittent Catheterisation. This is a clean technique for the user, but an aseptic one for the carer. And of course, there are different sizes and types of catheters, as well as catheter coatings. Nice guidelines promote patient choice and recommend that both a gel and hydrophilic coated catheters are offered to a patient. 
How many times a day does someone have to use a catheter? Well, again, you know, everybody's different and the frequency of this procedure varies with people. It could be several times a day or just once a week. I've got a a lady in her 90s who is blind and uh, she was managing very independently until she started to develop uh, bladder problems. Uh, To cut a long story short, uh, I saw her and assessed her I did a post-void bladder scan and it's uh, we could see that she was retaining urine. I taught her to do intermittent catheterization, and quite often with older people it takes a little bit longer for that residual to build up. There was no known cause for this lady, uh, probably just the part of the ageing process for her. So she learned to pass the catheter and she did this once a week and it meant she could go back to doing her shopping, you know, getting the bus to go out places. So, you know, that was really worth doing. Keeping a bladder diary, fluid chart to monitor input and output of a patient helps to give a guide along with the aerodynamic findings of the patient's bladder capacity and ultrasound bladder scan post-void residual urine. As a rule, the patient's volume should not exceed 400 mils. The frequency of passing a catheter is very individual and considers the patient's fluid intake, extremes of hot weather, their lifestyle and bladder function. How does a patient choose the catheter? Okay, well, the patient's probably unlikely to choose unless they're in the medical profession or they've been Googling the subject, which, of course, is what everybody does these days. Uh, There are so many to choose from and the improvement of technology can actually make it quite complex for people. You need to consider such things as the patient's motivation, the patient's lifestyle, Uh, their eyesight, dexterity and so forth. And of course, you may have to follow your organisation's formulary. For the patients who are going to be doing this procedure over a long period of time, it is important that the choice between intermittent catheters is informed by robust evidence on clinical and cost effectiveness. Are there any patients that cannot carry out this procedure? Yes, there are. And this may be due to more than one reason. It could be that they have a physical or mental health problem, a learning disability, a tremor, uh, patients who have been abused, patients who have had FGM may prevent them from carrying out this procedure. FGM stands for female genital mutilation. There may be religious beliefs or a mixture of the aforementioned. However, you know, the subject can still be gently discussed and the benefits of doing intermittent catheterization explained to the patient so that they can make an informed decision. Patients with a lack of perineal sensation and spinal injury patients may need to adapt the technique due to the the motor and sensor impairment, but this does not preclude the ability to perform intermittent catheterisation. I remember seeing a patient, she was actually a retired physio, and she had MS, she was wheelchair-bound, and the community nurses were really struggling with trying to teach this patient intermittent catheterization because they were so worried she was going to fall off her wheelchair when she was doing the procedure but this lady knew where anatomy was she she so wanted to do this and and that's half the battle and she did with a little bit of extra support manage to do the procedure and it meant that she could be dry throughout the day which just you know it's a life changer for people alternatively with permission a relative or carer could do this procedure thanks carolyn Now here's Clinimed's product specialist, Laura Savage, to give you some insight into Clinimed's range of ISC catheters, Curan. Hi, Laura. 
Hi, so I'd like to talk you through Clinimed's Curan range of intermittent catheters, better known as ISC. Curan ISC catheters are used to help patients who are unable to empty their bladder naturally or fully. All the Curan catheters are sterile and single use and they come in boxes of 30 catheters. So what catheters are in the Curan range? Well, as you've heard from Carolyn, it's important to offer patients the choice of both a gel and a hydrophilic coated catheter. The Curan range are the only range to offer both. The Curan Lady and Curan Man catheters are gel-based and the Curan Advantage range of catheters are hydrophilic water-based catheters. By offering your patients the full Curan range of catheters, you're not only giving the patients the choice of coatings and styles, you're following nice guidelines too. Can you tell us a little bit more about the Curan gel-based catheters? Being gel-based means the Curan Lady and Curan Man catheters are mess-free when opening. They both have a grip and twist lid, making the catheter easy to open, even for those with limited dexterity, and the catheter can be resealed back in its packaging after use. They're discreet and compact, fitting easily in a pocket or bag. For added discretion, patients can order a Curan Man sleeve to store their catheter in when out and about. It looks just like a sunglasses case, helping discretion. A compact bag is also available for both male and female catheters, and additionally, we have a Curan mirror for assisting females when training to use ISC. And what about the Curan Advantage hydrophilic catheters? So the Curan Advantage comes in three different lengths, male, female and unisex. The unique Comfort Coat coating is activated with a quick squeeze of the water sachet. The Comfort Coat is part of a two-layer technology which ensures the coating completely covers the catheter and doesn't dry out too quickly. The smooth coating prolongs lubrication and reduces friction, making insertion and withdrawal more comfortable. The Curan Advantage male and unisex lengths and the Curan Man catheters features the blue grip for hygienic insertion and removal. All the Curan catheters offer a significant cost saving. As of March 2021, the range holds up to 32% cost saving compared to similar ISC catheters. Using Curan catheters means you can help make savings for the NHS as well as adhering to recommended best practice. Thanks, Laura. So back to you, Carolyn. Is there much support for patients who carry out ISC? Yes, usually the nurse teaches the patient, although other healthcare professionals can do this as well. There are DVDs and plenty of literature available. The internet is helpful, but I always advise my patients to use a reputable website and ideally a UK one. The patient should always be given this information to support them before they commence intermittent catheterisation. This should reiterate what you've talked to them about and include how to prepare for the procedure how to prevent infection, uh, for example, washing their hands, not touching the tip of the catheter, how to obtain the catheters and how to dispose of them. Clear diagrams are really useful because not all ladies know their anatomy very well. So it's important to show them where they're putting the catheter and ideally do the procedure with them anyway. They need to know who to contact if they run into any problems or have any questions to ask. Are there any contraindications or long-term problems with doing intermittent catheterisation? Well, intermittent catheterisation remains the preferred choice for patients whose incomplete bladder emptying is not satisfactorily managed by other methods. Uh, Complications and adverse effects can arise in both sexes, but it is seen primarily in males who catheterise long-term. 
Complications include the urethral area, the scrotal area and the bladder. Men can suffer with inflammation of the urethral meatus and urethritis from repeated catheterizations. Bleeding can occur when learning this technique, but that's in men and women. Uh, but it should only just be spotting of blood. And it's seen in uh, one third of patients who catheterize long term. Continuous blood loss, however, could indicate that they've got a urinary tract infection. There can also be creation of a false tract, which can occur particularly in men who have an enlarged prostate or who have persisting urethral strictures. Strictures can occur due to an inflammatory response to the repeated trauma of catheterization or can occur almost anywhere along the urethra. If a patient develops difficulty with passing their catheter, then this could be indicative of stricture forming and they should be investigated and referred to a urologist. Patients who are experienced at catheterisation and pass the catheter often seem to have less trauma to their urethra as their techniques improve. However, patients catheterising for over a year can also induce local traumatic reactions, so catheter lubrication is so, so important. Forcing a catheter or using a badly lubricated or non-lubricated catheter can cause the urethra to go into spasm. So again, another reason for using lubricated catheters. Inflammation of the testes and the epididymis is more common in spinal injury patients who catheterize and for those men with a urethral stricture. Men and women can get bladder stones thought to be caused from pubic hair being taken into the bladder when they're doing the procedure. On occasions, catheters are even lost inside the bladder. So uh, that would be uncomfortable. Pain, although it usually improves over time, can be experienced by some. And accurate positioning of the urethra helps along with good lubrication and trying to reassure the patient and get them to relax. Thank goodness, cancer is rare. And are there any risks of infection? Yes, as with any procedure that involves invasion by a foreign body, there are a few factors involved. The patient could be more at risk of developing a UTI, for example, if they've had previous UTIs, have a diagnosis of diabetes, or they're prone to bladder and kidney stones. Age and gender can make a difference. Being female, your urethra is very close to your back passage, so you are more at risk of getting urinary tract infections. Maybe a patient does not catheterise frequently enough or empty their bladder fully, resulting in stale urine remaining in the bladder. It's important the catheter, when it's passed, is slowly removed so it catches all the last drops of urine. They may have a poor fluid intake, of course, resulting in a lower volume of urine produced. And patients producing less than well, 1,200 mils per day are less likely to empty their bladder at desired intervals, producing stagnant urine. And this, of course, can result in getting a UTI. Poor catheterization technique and poor hand hygiene did not help. When we pass urine, we naturally flush bacteria out of our urethra, but not so if we're using a catheter to drain our bladder. Patients doing intermittent catheterization are classed as high risk. And if suspected of having a UTI, then the GP should not hesitate to commence the patients on antibiotics. The use of prophylactic antibiotics to prevent UTIs is controversial. Believe it or not, an excessive fluid intake can lead to a UTI. The patient risks periodic or regular over-distension and overflow incontinence. 
Excessive drinking could produce bladder volumes of over 500 mils, and we don't want that. Some patients have a disturbed night's sleep because they feel they need to empty their bladder. These patients should try catheterising before going to bed. I know it's a bit of a faff, but it can make a huge difference to them getting a night's sleep. They should be discouraged as well from drinking large volumes before bedtimes. And what can happen if the catheter is not passed? Well, the occasional time lapse between catheterizations may be acceptable. However, if it's left too long, the patient may go back into retention uh, or they could get an infection and suffer discomfort. Over a longer period, if a large residual urine is left, it can lead to bladder calculi, urinary incontinence and damage to the urinary tract and lead to renal failure. Are there any helpful tips when teaching a patient or their carer to do intermittent catheterisation? Uh, yes, there are. For ladies, a mirror that has a magnifying part to it may help to show them the correct place of inserting the catheter. If the patient cannot manage to drain the catheter when over a toilet, then you can get them to try different places, such as sitting in the bath or on their shower chair, so urine can just drain away straight down the plug hole. Finding the best position can be trial and error. Sat down on too soft a seat, like your sofa, does not help when trying to identify the urethra in the female. There are different catheters to help with different disabilities. Uh, most intermittent catheters can have a drainage bag attached for times when the patient is not so well or where there is no toilet, and some come with bags actually already attached. Packaging of catheters is more discreet and containers for catheters such as wallets, sunglass cases, as Laura mentioned, can help hide their catheters. Wipes and disposable bags are available through home delivery services. So it all helps to make it a better thing for patients to have to do. It's not a nice thing for them to have to do, but it helps them cope with it better. Some catheters are designed to be compact now, so they can be easily carried around. So that's important um, if they you know, are going to work and have to do this procedure. They've got something small and discreet. It never hurts to remind the patient and the carers about the importance of hand hygiene, not touching the catheter tip that is going in the body. And so in summary, Carolyn, what are the main points we should take from what we've talked about today? Impaired bladder emptying is a common and undiagnosed condition. But once identified, then intermittent catheterisation is by far a safer choice for patients to manage their circumstances. It helps to protect their kidneys, has the potential to reduce frequency, urgency and incontinence between catheterisations. There can be improved self-care and independence, fewer barriers to intimacy and sexual activities. It is important to support patients and carers doing intermittent catheterisation so that they remain compliant and reduce the risk of complications. It's also worth remembering to consider intermittent catheterisation for some patients prior to passing a long-term catheter, as it reduces catheter-associated problems and the need for so much equipment. And of course, you know, the most problem with that as well is the amount of time that nurses have to spend going out to see patients with catheter problems. Bear in mind when a trial without catheter has failed, passing an intermittent catheter or teaching the patient to do this could prevent the patient having to have a catheter put back in again, as it may trigger the bladder into remembering how to empty. But above all, intermittent catheterisation gives the patient autonomy. Often after having a period of misery with their bladder problems, it takes less time to teach someone to do intermittent catheterisation 
the manager long-term catheter and more importantly, there are less complications for the patient. Thanks, Carolyn. So, Laura, how can anyone listening find out more? So, to find out more and speak to a Clinimed specialist about the QAN ISC range or to get hold of some free samples, you can contact Clinimed by calling 0808 296 5771 or you can email info at clinimed.co.uk or simply visit our website at www.clinimed.co.uk. So, we hope this podcast has been helpful in giving you some support and tips on assisting you answer these challenges associated with urinary incontinence. And thanks again to our guests today, Carolyn Freeman and Laura Savage.